Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Between the Legs, a podcast about those in the motorcycle community and those who contribute to it. I'm your host, Sarah Taylor. In today's episode, Mateus opens up about the past and future impacts of his journey from Brooklyn to the southern tip of Argentina. Because of the images he captured along the way, he was able to tell his story in his own way in his book, Two Wheels South. His mechanical preparation for the trip and love of BMWs is what's sending him on a new path towards customizing bikes for similar adventures. Mateus even shares a few secrets for you eager mechanics in the making. I hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Between the Legs. We're talking to Matthias Correa. Sort of. Matthias Correa. Yes. Oh, man, I still do the Korea. Uh, today we're going to talk about a few things. Uh, mostly we're going to be talking about his new book that's recently been released, Two Wheels South, uh, within the last year, right? June, yeah. June. June 2019. So. All right. And then how you are secretly a BMW mechanic or a mechanic in the making. Builder. Builder. Yeah. You won't call yourself, but I will. I've seen your garage. It's insane. (laughs) And then you co-founded a company called Behance, right? Yes. All right. Cool. Um, So let's start with the book. You wrote a book. I did. You wrote a book. And it was very hard. Oh my goodness. This thing is, let's look at it. We've got 300 something. It's 272 pages pages of content. That is nutty. I know that because it actually is harder than one might, might believe trying to condense six and a half plus the, the sort of the few months of, of pre- preparing on 272 pages. There's a lot, I took out around 9,000 images and obviously went through 168 days. And this book is a condensation of the highlights and the best moments and the learnings and the preparation. But I mean, if I had my way, the book would be probably <laughs> three times longer, but at the same time, probably three times more boring, you know, or three, you know, cause I think it's, it, it's good to edit yourself. It's like the Irishman versus, you know, early Scorsese, <laughs> two hours, thanks, you know? I imagine it would be very difficult to go through that many images. I'll have five images that are almost all nearly the same, and I'm like, ah, oh, they're all so good, I can't. <laughs> I can't um, no, in my case, 90% of the images were, you know, the, the way I, I actually also approach photography within uh, a trip like this. I never, by the way, wanted to make a book. You never wanted I to make never, a book? I never ever either wanted or thought I would gonna make a book. It wasn't my, a dream of mine to do that, uh, which means when I went on the trip, I literally, I always loved photography and I did photography in high school, then I did photography, uh, film photography, uh, you know, on vacation, on, on travel and stuff like that. But the last 15 years, I didn't. I really was not focused on photography. So when I went on this trip, it was obvious that I wanted to document it for myself and mm-hmm. for, as you say, shits and giggles when I'm like 70 <laughs> and when Joel and I went old and wanted to remember how young and strong we were and uh, how decrepit we are at, the, at 70, uh, I just wanted to have a memory of that and I knew I was going to see a lot of beautiful landscapes and people so I took these pictures for myself 
And then when I came back, um, so, so what I say, you know, I take pictures for myself. So I didn't take 50 pictures of each. I think I took three, one, that's it. Like sometimes it's like, oh, that, that's a shot. And if the shot is not blurry, that's it. Also, in many of these places, either we are tired or it's very hot or we're moving. So it's not like, let's take 25 minutes to take a picture. They're all literally me. Uh, you know, now you're looking at the Nevada Ruiz in Colombia. Uh, we're at 15,000 feet. So just walking up here made me my heart race like, you know, like crazy because there was no oxygen. So I was like, I would go up, see the picture, take the picture, go back down. And then in two minutes, we were back on the bikes and gone. And, you know, that's why I have my, my camera on my, on my tank back. It's just sometimes I didn't even get off the bike. You would just pull it out. You just pull it out in the front of the tank bag take a picture and also like I only take pictures that I see I don't find I don't search for pictures and also it's like every day there are thousands of pictures you can take and I think uh, as much as I took 9,000 pictures it's 168 days it's seven months it's not that many I know people who take 9,000 pictures in a week it would have been insane if I had 35,000 pictures to edit 9,000 in many ways is pretty is pretty controlled pretty controlled yeah i mean you were gone for seven months i'd anticipate that you would have quite a lot of images and this is a book so it doesn't have any of like the videos that you took on top of no. that what are you uh, doing with those any other creative projects i i mean I, I i always wanted to have something sort of creative to do as i was moving down um uh, going south and i we did five pieces we did five sort of micro documentaries we recorded maybe two three four hours depending on the person of five creatives we did one in um the mountains of north carol north carolina we did one in new orleans we we did um one in lima we did one in um in mexico um and another one in argentina i think mm -hmm. uh, i never edited them though they're sort of standing still Maybe it was more about the creative process itself and, and talking to people and learning about them than wanting to make the pieces. I think that just the effort of doing that was a creative, you know. It's like, do you paint to make something beautiful or do you paint because you like painting? And in that case, the exercise of doing it was, was enough. Of course, I'd like to, you know, edit them at some point, but, but I wasn't recording to do anything, I think, uh, you know. You weren't taking these photos to do a book is what you Never. said. So how did you come to make a book? While I was on the journey, maybe halfway down, somewhere in Ecuador, in Peru, a couple of my friends that I really trust, one of my friends, I, I, I know Fernandez, a very old friend of mine, she was like, when are you making the book? You're making a book. You're making a book, yeah? And I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm not making a book. Like, I don't have good stuff, you know, for this, for, to make a book. What was happening, and I'm telling you this looking back, is when I was in the trip, I was taking these pictures, and the pictures were nowhere close as the reality that I was experiencing. Meaning the images were good, but the reality was so much more powerful that in my view at that moment in the trip, there was like the images were just sort of a sketch of the, 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 the grandiose things that I was seeing. And I came back, let's say two, three, four months after, it doesn't wash off, but it is a different thing. You're back in your apartment in New York City, you know, all that stuff. And I had done a, a four minute um, sort of video with some of my favorite pictures, maybe 55 pictures from the whole trip for uh, talks that I've been doing here and there um, with music, you know, and 
what I found is that every time I played it, you know, my friends wanted to see some stuff. So I showed them some videos. I'm at home, you know, we're drinking wine. And I show this thing and I get moved. I'm like, like crying in my own <laughs> fucking living room. And I'm like, okay, I see what my friend was saying. Once you're not in that place, the pictures do speak and have, they, they move. They moved me. And if they moved me, hopefully they moved all the people, you know. And I was the one that saw the places that I took pictures of. As I was doing talks and people were asking me, not only offline but online, the same questions. And I wanted to answer those questions and I was answering those questions about packing, about motorcycles, about uh, currency, about borders, about safety, about all these things, you know? And also about like friendship. Oh, how do you not get tired of Joel and you, and you know, Joel and you, you know? Or each, of each other, you know, all these things that it's like, well, maybe, maybe there is a book here. And then I just got excited about it. And I just saw that it was a great way to finish the journey. So how did your partner feel about being in a book? I actually asked ask him, of course. Um, not only he feels, I mean, it's it's very nice to be in a book and not having to design it or, or write it. Or, oh, I don't have to do any work? Yes, yes. <laughs> he, no, he, he, he knows he's part of it. But the important part of this book is that, you know, at the time when I asked him, he didn't have the the time or the energy or, or the focus and also we are he lives in Barcelona I live here so it would have been difficult to make a book together um, so when I asked him he sort of said I, I can't do it um, to write together to the book together so I said well I'm gonna do it and then I decided that I would do it he's in the book and he's part of the book and he's in the pictures and he's you know he's always there but it's almost like he could make his own version of this book this is just my version. This is what I felt. It's not Joel felt this. In every journey, when you're with someone else, you have their journey, your journey, and the journey together. And it's three trips. And this is not even, it's a, it touches the middle sometimes, but really it's my version. It's my book, my, my trip, how I felt. And I know he felt differently in many places, like when I, flew off my motorcycle I know we felt different about it you know the days after that we I know we had different ideas I was trying to just recover and figure out my fears and his fears were different because he's he didn't crash he had other things in his mind you know so you know that's why I'm saying this book is my my it's literally the camera that I it's my camera you know it's my my eyes what was the writing process like Two or three months after I came back is when I was like, okay, I could, do this. I could, I well, I would like to do this. I think I, I need to do that for myself to sort of, as that's why I said finish the trip to sort of gather all these ideas, these concepts, and sort of put in a thing for myself as well, for the world. I wanted more people to be on the road, I want more people to experience the things that I went through, not only the places and the people and the landscapes and the food, that's sort of a given, but more of the change, the growth, and the the changes that happen when you do something like that. This book is not a novel or a, it's not prose, it's not like an essay, it's not, you know, it's not something written, it's not something only written. So I, I as a designer, as a pseudo photographer, it's all about storytelling. And my way of telling a story is both through images and words. So I don't want to, right? If anyone said, we'll, give you a ton of money to just write this thing I'd say no I just don't think it's my thing writing that doesn't mean I can't do it but in many if you read the book you'll see that I don't describe 
the colors of the landscape because 99% of the time there's an image doing it 10 times better than that and describing all of the subtleties of that place. So I do, this is the book I can, I can make and I feel comfortable making. It's, I'm a visual human, but I, I knew I didn't want to make a photography book because I think these images without the stories would have fallen very flat. I don't think everyone should make this book. I have books that are only text. I have books that are only photography. I love all of them. This is the book I knew how to make or I was drawn to make. Sort of, I, I don't know what the percentage is, but let's say half and half, half text of images. And the images are protagonists. Um, I have, for example, a friend, Leah Reich, who's written a, a book. Now it's not even in English, but I know it's, it's a very good book um, about writing the world solo. Um, she, she writes, she writes very well. Um, I've seen all the things that she's written. She writes very well. And then in the middle, like many other books, uh, El Elspeth Beard does the same. Uh, Jupiter's Travels, uh, uh, Ted Simon does the same. It's a written book with images and like a few, what, uh, you know, 12 pages of, of images as a, as a sort of reference. And, and it's also always very beautiful to see those things. Mine is different, you know? Yours is a very clear mix of both, and you don't have any writing in here that isn't accompanied by an image to either like describe what that image is or to go beyond like when you have a leak, for yeah. example. Mm -hmm. I mean, I tell you in this in retrospect, but at the same time, is a process of discovery. Um, I didn't start with this structure. I started more grouping things around people. Mm, forget about the preparation. Now, the preparation always was sort of this, you know, one thing, mm -hmm. but I was like, borders, people. Um, that's where I started trying to make this sort of concepts. And when I was going through it, it made no sense because suddenly chapter one, the bike was all old and fucked up. And you're like, why is the bike half broken? <laughs> and then you go 10 pages forward and the bike is perfect and everything is clean. And, but also beyond that, it's like we have beers. It's like, there's no sense of, it's, it's a very complicated, story to get on board to get the reader to to come along in a journey so at some point i realized that the linearity of the journey made visual sense one so when i said that's going to help me edit my images and feel like the the book has a, a rhythm that is just you know you are coming along and once we did that i'm grabbing the book now um i realized that there were three big chapters that related to not only North, Central, and South America, but looking back as I was writing it, it helped me a lot to think about it as adaptation, which is from New York City to the border of Mexico. Um, sorry, to the border of, of, of um, yeah, Mexico, Guatemala. Then Central America with changes. And then Colombia all the way south with challenges. And it's really how it, it felt, for at least for me, that North America was adapting to to being on the bike all, every day, all the time, and knowing that you're gonna do that for a long time. Adapting to planning every day, to finding um, uh, sleeping accommodations. When do we stop? How long do we ride? I'm cold, I'm hot, uh, the bike doesn't feel right, the heated grips don't, you know, like all of these things that you just, you plan all this, but now you have to adapt to it. Then, Central America, it's literally a different world and things just really start to change from the borders to the people, to the culture, to, to everything. And then once we did all 
came Central uh, South America, and South America was the hardest part of it all. Yeah, I read some of the stories. You got stuck at Border Patrol at one point. They yeah. took your bikes. That's over Panama. That's in Central America. Central too, America. Yeah. yeah, but I think that the South America was harder because of the terrain and because we were searching for for more isolated areas, or we were finding more isolated areas, and and the roads got you know worse. You know there. And that's also very beautiful, but also, you know, you try to explore further, so you get in more, you get into more trouble in a good way, you know, you get more challenges. And so, yeah, that's so the, about the process of, of writing. I think it's about understanding one, what is the, the arc, the big arc of the story? What are the, in this case, what were the three big areas? Because once you do that, I'm also bringing people along on North America, Central America, South America. And also there's an element of geographic location for people to put them in a place, you know. And then slowly, I do cover absolutely every country that we went through. But some countries have 35 pages or more. Some countries have two. It's because sometimes... Because you have to move, and you'll see the first the first chapter. It's like day one, day three, day seven, and you're like, "Shit, this is <laughs> gonna be the longest book of life," you know. But then in in South America, since it's so long, it's day one hundred eleventh, and then one hundred and twenty sixth. Because in the middle, maybe there was there was maybe a little bit of not the same, but like nothing relevant. So. Uh, what I did is focus on a mix between what are the learnings, what are the stories worth telling in this chronological order, and then how all do I cover all the things I wanted to talk about? And, and yes, because everything happened, you know, accidents, friendship, sense of loss, sense of belonging, uh, dreaming, you know, dreaminess in the trip, uh, the borders, people being amazing the dangers of motorcycles on the road. And I think I always attack it in a way in which there's always a mix between what happened, but also how it felt, not just like, and then we were there and this happened and uh, you know, it was a pain in the ass. It's more like <laughs> what we learned with this, you know? No, uh, that makes perfect sense. Well, and I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> now you can make your own book. So you went on this huge trip, then you wrote a book you never thought you would write. Um, you've done some speaking tours, like I watched a little clip of you uh, speaking in Berlin for the... Travel Festival. Yes. Um, and now it's been some time since all of that. How do you feel? I feel it was one of the most difficult things I've ever done. It's physically a lot of hours. It looked nuts. Like just your list alone to get started would make this me nauseous. Is the vein of my ex that this spread the work the spread the spread with the tools? Oh my goodness! It's the vein of my. It was the How vein of my existence. How did you choose which tools to? No, take? that was the easy part. Choosing the tools was fine. Mm. The problem is that this spread, as tidy as it looks, it's insane amount of work because I'm very anal and I wanted to make everything balanced, but also clear and also precise. Meaning. It, it's not a look it's actually if I had you know I went back on a trip uh, a month ago and I opened this thing and I just start from here I, I mean it like I used my own book to to go through my tools again because you know I, I parted out mm -hmm. some of these tools were part of my toolkit so I put them back so I opened the book and I said this is what I'm taking 
<laughs> so you know, like it's actually the things that I take. It's no joke. Certain things. So I, now you've made a list for yourself for future trips, so that you. I mean, know. this is this is true. Is not a hipster recollection. You know, it's exactly what I would take again. This um, is my favorite tool, the vice grip. Vice grip is very important. You I know why? I love that one. Because sometimes shit gets stuck. So we've just finished this book. You've done some speaking engagements on the best podcast ever. Uh, to talk about it, what are you doing now? So for the last two years, I did um, digital product design consulting, which, mm -hmm. which is sort of part of my background. Of course, I'm a product designer as well. Um, through the things I did, uh, you know, and the things I learned over ten years at Behance in my my company, I done yeah, I done two years almost uh, of, of of consulting. But at the same time, I was also building literally downstairs um, my my garage my 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 workshop my motorcycle workshop and i've been sort of diving a lot deeper into motorcycle building you know uh, restoration and building and i'm excited about the idea of going into that direction and either restoring you know sort of factory style restorations uh, of, of mostly vintage bmws or um custom high-performance um, adventure airheads, BMWs. Um, and bikes that would be ideal for the trip I did. So while I was on the, on the trip, there were certain things about the bike that I wanted to improve. Certain top end, fuel, uh, even it's a very fuel, it's a pretty good fuel efficient bike. I wanted to improve the fuel efficiency, more top end, as I said. Um, I also wanted a shorter first gear, longer fifth gear, and you know, taller bars, lower foot pegs, but also like better front and rear suspension, a little bit more balance. All these things that are like small, and if you do two weeks or one week, you won't notice or you won't care. But once you're on your bike every day for many, many hours, I wanted to. So that's what brought me to say, well, the next trip I wanted to do with a version of this bike. Um, that it's has all these things fixed. So I started building that and I'm building that right now And I think what's next probably is Africa Really? Yeah, yeah this year. Will you do this is exclusive <laughs> Very few people know this. <laughs> you guys are in for a treat uh, So what are we thinking on Africa? Are we gonna loop around the edges? Are, are we, we are you coming with country? me? Is that how it works? Now? I mean like I could be available. We'll see <laughs> My initial idea my very initial idea a, a, a while ago was uh, Barcelona to South Africa, mm -hmm. which sounds like, you know, I did here my home to like my parents, you know, country, Argentina, they were Argentinian by, they're Argentinian, I was born in Spain, but I'm, you know, I'm Argentinian more than I'm Spanish. Um, well, that could be conflictive. I'm all those things. <laughs> I have a complex, uh, I have a complex. Uh, you don't have I, a singular I, identity. I, exactly. I have a complex identity. Um, so my original idea was to do Barcelona to South Africa, but then not only the East Coast is just one, one part. Of course, the, there's a lot of parts in the center of Africa, Congo, um, uh, and then Sudan, and you know, that are not in the best moment of the countries to, to say, and you know Nigeria, which is probably okay. There's there's some places with more conflict, more ease, and then there is East Africa. You know everything. Um, 
and I'm going to leave a lot of countries probably because I, that's how I learned geography by going to these places and <laughs> riding through them. I can tell you the entirety of, of the American continent, but uh, Africa I still have to learn. But I know there's Angola, there's Botswana, there's Malawi, there's South Africa, there's Tanzania, there is Ethiopia. I was talking to, to a friend, a new found friend uh, on the internet that I hope I made some some point, uh, Minchus um, from Piki Piki. Africa, who is from South Africa, is traveling, It has been traveling for years with his woman uh, through the world, um, and they started, and he drew me a map, and he do, did a loop um, through East Africa, says, this is what you imagine Africa being, and I think, you know, that's sort of my first intuition, and I think that's what I'm going for, and we'll see, if it's nicer, do more, if it's, I feel strong, do more, if I don't, done. Will you take one of these bikes, like the custom one you're building now, where yeah, you're that's editing the, all the pieces? That's the point. Yeah, that's sort of the, the reason is to sort of, this is a prototype. I mean, it's not a prototype. It's going to be a, a running bike. Um, but also figure out, you know, what are the things I could change uh, about it. It has a lot of things improved. Um, and yeah, from that point on, hopefully come back do more modifications and, and uh, adjustments and, and start building them for other people. And then you make the perfect traveling bike. I mean, I love it. And one of the reasons I, I really think these bikes are, for me, for me, the ultimate traveling motorcycle, as other bikes are that fit in the same category. But, you know, I love BMW, so I'm just going to talk about what I love. I don't <laughs> say that BMWs are the only traveling machine because that's not only true, but it's stupid. But I love BMWs because they're very easy to work on. In what ways? In what ways? Well, you have the opposite, you know, twin, twin opposite, you know, um, that really exposes almost everything you need to do in it. Mm -hmm. the, you know, so doing a valve adjustment, you don't have to not even take a plastic. You just pop the valve covers off and there they are. Um, and the, the, the valve adjustment is very easy. Um, then... You know, taking the tank is literally either a screw or just a like a like a flap. I don't know what you call it, but it takes like thirty seconds to take the tank off. You know, it does. Wow! Like taking the seat off is ten seconds or five. It doesn't matter. So like you can part of like you can really get to the core of, and the electrical. The wiring of these bikes are very simple. Of this specific models, there are other models that went a little bit more crazy, but these models have very simple, and once you start learning about all these things, it just really makes a very easy to troubleshoot motorcycle, very easy to maintain as long as you do maintain it. And this is one thing that is hard to refute, um, just by the fact that Helge Pedersen did, I think, 250,000 kilometers on one of these. Holy moly. That Ted Simon also did his second, I think, tour or third tour in on R100, R80GS. You know, uh, Elspeth did it on R60 slash six, which is a, even like an older model, but still made it. We did it. There's a lot of people that, you know, have done it. And listen, Joe and I, I had an accident, but beyond the accident, I didn't, nothing, nothing broke. Besides the flats and the accident, nothing broke on my bike at all. But I did, I did multiple services. I changed the oil. I did the things that need to be done, but nothing that anyone, like you could learn that you have to want to do that um joel for example the only thing that happened to joel bikes is that his coil went bust 
but it's an electrical component. We had one, we replaced it, done. Wow. That's why I think about, you know, when I think about self-sufficiency, I think about not having to worry about the bike. And, you know, things could happen. Of course, parts break and shit like that. And any bike will break. When you depend on a computer to see what's wrong with the bike, then I feel, I feel helpless. You know, I would feel helpless if I had to plug a computer to figure out if the CPU is not working or the ignition or the sensor for this and that. So that's why I chose a bike that it's quote unquote old. It's old, but it's also simpler. It's also built in a diff, with a different mentality. I mean, if it can make it that far and the worst you have is flats and a little crash, then... Yeah. Well, even like, you know, my friend Sinje uh, um, has traveled 90,000 kilometers on a similar bike. It's just a few years later. It's an R100 GS. Um, it's basically the same. It's the evolution of the same bike. Mm -hmm. And I mean, she's traveled three times as long with the same bike, you know. So these bikes are, you know, they're pretty strong. Um, and the interesting thing is that they were built in the in the 70s and the 80s with a mentality of we got to tell people that this bike will last them 30 years not that in three years they need to buy the new model because there's this this and this thing it's and i think that mentality made them build very very reliable in many ways over engineered meaning a lot of the things that are there will last you a million miles literally a million miles I'm if you not, do all the right service to it and you replace the, the parts that need you. to be replaced thank you for i the, mean it's just I totally agree, and you know I'm. How do you feel about working on motorcycles? Oh my uh, goodness! Like on your own motorcycles, I like understanding your motorcycle. So my first motorcycle, and I think I've talked about this before, is a was a 2007 GS500. Uh, so Suzuki, for those who don't know, and it was a nightmare. <laughs> it wow. was it was a lot of fun, but I didn't know what I was doing when something needed to be fixed. But because of that, I got to learn the machine. So when I started riding, I wanted to ride, I wanted a motorcycle to ride. And then I learned that this bike is gonna need some extra care. And I was like, well, I can't afford to just send it to a garage every time something goes wrong. That's like $300 a pop. Mm -hmm. Or I could do it myself for $27 in seven hours. And so that's what I did. Mm -hmm. And I would buy, you know, things if I needed to replace them. Um, I learned how to change my own oil, which, you know, isn't that major. But for me, that was a huge accomplishment yeah. that I was like, oh my God, yeah. I can change oil. Yeah, baby. Yes. Yeah, baby. I changed out tires. I changed out sprockets. I changed out the chain. Um, see, at so one point, I a, took off the carbs. If you had a flat in the middle of the bush. I'd probably be fine. Well, you change it too. You it would take You don't need to change a tire. Changing tires is hard. I mean, it could, it's done, but it, it's yeah, just twice. Like, well, it's hard to, to, to put the bead in and all that stuff. Yeah. But one of the things that is important in it is also I, that's why part of the introduction also talks about learning how to work in motorcycles. Not that I explain, but I talk about the concept of why I think it's important is because it's not if, it's when. <laughs> and that's when so you're true. doing this sort of adventure, it's always in the shittiest place. It's, it's never next to someone. That, oh, is that no. a, a garage right here it's like, in the psst. middle of the forest? No, it's not. It's and so yourself. you know that is one of the things that I, we carry more weight, which it's more weight and more independence. The spare parts, and when you see the boat, the spare parts. There's there's a lot of stuff that we carry, 
but it got us out of trouble and you know we know we've seen it on other journeys where people spend one two three weeks waiting for parts no for me i mean i'm also lucky that i didn't break anything on the transmission or the bottom end i mean that would have been a different thing in these bikes to break that you have to be really unlucky or have ridden it very poorly for a long time we carry everything that will break or could break and it's known and, and that's all in the book so but for us and that's weight it's considerable amount of weight in my toolkit is more severe than most toolkits but it is the thing that gave us complete freedom in that sense one one thing happened that it's actually not in the book but i already didn't have enough pages that it's one and, and what i learned is that's one thing in, in in a two-year spam of the models of the st there are more flywheels that where the tooth which is riveted just fails and it detaches that is just you should change your flywheel is from that those two years but it doesn't happen in later models it doesn't happen in previous models so that's the only thing that broke that we couldn't fix but i took the tranny out i looked at everything and i figured out that was it and we had to go somewhere and and luckily we find this guy in argentina in, in mendoza who put a new flywheel having worked more in it i could have taken it to someone to weld it put it put it in you know and, and went on my way and that's all part of the learning process and that's all part of the learning process but you're totally right the ability to change your own pieces or make your own um uh, updates to a bike it does deliver a whole level of freedom you don't know and i don't think i would understand my motorcycle now as well as i did if it wasn't for my suzuki who i had to like take open and look yes. at and understand it also made them seem a lot simpler to me because before they, they were are. like these huge but, epic well you, you just see this you see, it's like the matrix <laughs> It's kind Once of like you start that, yeah. re learning how to, well, or reading music or reading a different language or learning a different language, you know, you start learning and you sort of first glaze over, but the more you learn, the more you start seeing. And, you know, there's this climber, the climber manual for BMW, 790 pages. And Holy I used to be so scared of it. Now it's my little bitch. Not only I know now where the different parts of the, of the bike are in the manual. It's not perfect, the climber manual, you should also cross-reference all the things, but I mean, the more you know, the easier it is to learn. And I, to me, that's very exciting, learning, you know, it's where, you know, I feel alive. So I think that once you actually, if you said, hey, my Suzuki has this problem, I could think about it. I could look at it and, and ask you a few questions and look and take out and pull some things and figure it out. I think I, not not myself any that's why mechanics can work good mechanics can work on i mean they're like anything. a doctor but for machines i mean yeah it's the child's it's a child body and female body a male body tall short old it's all the same thing you know it's sometimes it's put in different ways and certain parts are different but um carbureted motorcycles it's fuel air spark compression pistons con rods and, <laughs> and transmission and clutch is this class this way? Is this class that way? Is the valve this way? Is this? It's different layouts of the same components, conceptually. So once you know one, you could get into Moto Guzzi much easier. You could get into Ducati much easier. But you know, they're all different worlds. But so you know. For anyone out there who who's doing a build, do you have any advice for them, like when they get started? What I've learned over time about builds is 
that there will be a lot more reading, research, also watching videos if they're available, um, asking people who know more, trying to do a build without tools. It's like trying to operate without an escalpel. Like it's just, you need the tools to do the work. Leon Hoffman said this, uh, buy once, cry once. If you like this, if you think you're gonna ride motorcycles for 20 years or the rest of your life, buy tools. Good tools will last you forever. Over time, you keep buying these tools and then at some point you'll have all the tools you need to not only work on these Suzuki's and Yamaha's and Honda's and BMW's because besides the specialty tools, everything sort of, you know, um, fits, you know, in, in every bike. So organization, preparation, reading and research and tools. You know, my friend Peter Boje from Motovogatara is my mentor and very old friend. He says always, Matthias, things, think, things always take longer than you think. And it sounds so simple, but it's true. You're like, today, I'm just going to, I don't know, rebuild the train and you have six hours and you think you're gonna do it because you have six hours. 90% of the time it doesn't happen like that. Unless you've done it 50 times and then you know. And 90% of that time when you have that experience then you can do it in the time you thought. But that is a different level. Not even my level, that's a different level. I think all of us need to say, I'm going to try to rebuild the train today and see how far I get. Do you want to do any plugs on like where they can find the book? Well, I mean, I, I mean uh, yes, I'd love to. Uh, uh, around the world, Mm, it's it's on Amazon always mm -hmm. and I do know that gestalton.com uh, which is does a very quick also free shipping uh, in all Europe and all also other countries uh, so either Amazon or gestalton.com it's and it obviously is in, in many you can actually go to gestalton.com to see if it's in a bookstore near you cool thank That's you it. thank you